This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Hear more from Free FM. For a small monthly fee, you can become a patron and support independent community media. Go to patreon.com slash freefm89 to find out how. Kia ora. You're listening to The Locals on Free FM 89.0. Ko Dan Armstrong, toko ingoa. As we head from a month of lockdown towards Level 3, a lot is still happening. So today I have a couple of conversations for you as we all come to understand these strange times. So let's crack into it. This is The Locals, and this is Liam Rutherford and Claire St-Pierre. Early in this lockdown, we looked into what educators and families were having to go through with home learning. A month on, I wanted to re-examine where we've ended up. That's why I had a chat with President of NZEI, Te Riuroa, Liam Rutherford. Can you give us an idea what the last month has been like for educators? Obviously, people talk about uh, the unprecedented times that we're in, um, and it is certainly that. Um, It's been such a weird melting pot for educators across the country because because on one hand, um, what comes to them naturally is uh, what's actually the role of an educator um, within a crisis. Uh, They spend an awful lot of time thinking about uh, the welfare of their children and their families. Um, But at the same time, uh, in and amongst um, all the uncertainty uh, of the world, um, is also the thinking about what that means for themselves as well. Uh, and so uh, I've been incredibly proud um, of the way the education sector um, has looked to approach um, the crisis, but also uh, their contribution in um, keeping people safe and calm um, coming into it. Uh, and I've just got the utmost confidence that they're going to continue to play their role as we come out of it. And uh, tomorrow... Uh, is one month of lockdown and we've got effectively another three weeks of us ahead at least. Uh, What are the challenges you see ahead of us? Sure. Um, So the big one that is um, top of the mind is uh, now that we have the timeline in place for uh, moving from alert level four to alert level three, is um, how do we go about doing that um, in a way that kind of has... um, people's health and well-being at the forefront of that, um, not just for themselves, but for the students and parents. Uh, and so any opportunity uh, I do get, um, I do like to reinforce the fact that um, level three is just for those people that need to send their children um, to um, to early childhood uh, or to schools, and that uh, if they are in a position to keep their children at home, um, then they certainly should. Um, so I think that's probably one of the, um, um, I mean, that is the immediate thing that is top of the mind. But um, slightly just um, over the horizon, um, you actually start to think about all of the opportunities that exist um, within education post uh, the coming out of lockdown. And I think one really good example of that um, is, is that we've seen over the last month um, a massive investment in uh dealing with the digital divide in education, because what the lockdown has done is actually brought to the surface um, inequalities that was 
that were previously um, existing within the system um, that we knew about, but we probably didn't understand quite the extent of it. And so now there's actually um, a really good narrative uh, that actually this digital device can actually be closed and it can be done quite quickly. I was going to ask about rural communities and I think you've highlighted it uh, very well. How do you think we can continue that resourcing of rural education infrastructure? Yeah, um, I think what we, I, I mean, it's a slight extension to what I said before. Um, the biggest opportunity that has come from this lockdown is we've actually really shed some light on inequalities that were already existing within the system. And I think uh, the rural community is probably um, an area that I think is uh, probably at the at the sad end of that um, more than other parts of the country. Um, and that plays out uh, in a large number of ways. And uh, we're seeing that not just through things like the digital divide and the challenges with getting uh, with getting um, internet connections into those spaces, um, because you actually saw that play out in a number of different ways. Um, a lot of the new connections um, actually didn't go into rural areas because of the extra challenges there. And we were hearing stories from principals that were having to access um, internet to do some of their day-to-day -day stuff through cell phones because um, because uh, the Ministry of Education did an awesome job striking up deals with the telcos to get data caps lifted. Uh, but actually, in uh, a lot of cases, that didn't apply to rural broad broadband. Um, and so, uh, and so there's um, certainly that set of challenges. And I think our greatest um, opportunity within this is to actually uh, be able to talk about those uh, with authority in ways that we haven't been able to. Um, and that is on top of uh, all of the stuff that we do already know about around um, recruitment um, into what's called U1 and U2 schools, which, which typically make up rural communities. Uh, thinking about what the lockdown is going to look like for them um, is going to be focused on whether or not they've got the workforce, uh, because they're typically one or two teacher schools. And if you've got uh, a teacher that has got um, underlying health issues, um, all of a sudden that means they're not able to be uh, working on site with students and uh, that's going to put at risk um, whether or not those schools are going to be able to open. And so, and so yeah, um, I think our biggest opportunity in this is to actually shed light on issues that do underpin rural communities um, in ways that uh, we haven't previously been able to. One of the questions I really wanted to ask um, was about the relationship between teachers and parents. How much do you think it's changed in the last month and, you know, what comes next with that? Yeah, I mean, uh, from a kind of um, opportunities perspective, um, teachers have been given given um, an incredibly privileged position um, to have insight into the home lives of families in ways that we traditionally don't. I mean, over the last few years, we've seen, um, we've seen massive swings towards um, emails, but... Uh, even that doesn't quite give you the same um, insight that a number of our teachers are experiencing around running Zoom conferences, um, touching base with um, phone calls to parents and uh, and the children within there. Uh, and so I think that is that is um, that's an opportunity that is going to come out of that because with those um, with those more frequent communications, relationships build. Uh, and so um, I think we are going to see the benefits of those stronger relationships when we do 
move back into that sense of normality. And I know um, schools are going to schools and early childhood centres are going to be really excited about um, capturing that and uh, using that um, as a catalyst to deepen the relationship that we know is part and parcel of what good teaching and learning looks like. And there are concerns about educators' well-being uh, because the situation for them is they are not just supporting students uh, remotely right now, but they're also possibly having to look after their own families. Mm. Do you think we need additional support in the medium and long term uh, into the well-being of teachers? Certainly, and uh, part and parcel uh, of the recovery from this um, is going to be how we look at dealing with health and well-being. Um, and there's going to be a, a massive piece that we're going to be needing to do uh, with um, students. Um, but at the same time, uh, the workforce uh, needs to also be taken care of through that. Um, one of the upshots is, is that we've got an awful lot of learning uh, that has come from um, the earthquakes and the mosque shootings um, out of Christchurch. And so um, it's a real silver lining that actually we're coming into that well-being conversation uh, with some pretty recent examples of things um, that have worked quite well. Uh, but the other thing um, in particular for, for, I think, the education workforce um, is probably that recognition that um, in the short term, educators are going to be so focused on picking themselves up to do the job that they need to do. Um, it's probably going to be towards um, mid to late term three that we're actually going to see some people um, falling over uh, um, as a result of poor well-being. And so um, in the way that we go about looking for solutions, um, and I think you touched on it in the question, they can't just focus on the here and now. It's actually about the medium and long term. Uh, in which we need to be uh, really aware of people. But um, well-being is one of those things that um, certainly at that conversational level has been really top of the mind for educators um, around the country. And um, by and large, schools are doing a really, really good job of talking about that more and more. Uh, and so we do have um, a good platform um, and a willing government to get that right. Finally, do you have a message to any educators listening to this right now? Uh, actually, I've got an awful lot of things I want to say to the educators um, around the country. Um, but uh, I guess um, I guess the key one is that um, is uh, just to extend an absolutely heartfelt thank you to the work that you've been doing um, over the last uh, four to six weeks, um, but also the work that, uh, that I know you're going to be doing moving forward um, because actually some of the most difficult parts of this whole process um, are still ahead of us. I feel incredibly proud uh, being in a leadership position within the education sector uh, because uh, because the educators are going to be front and centre at, what, um, at a, what a successful recovery looks like um, and I'm continually heartened by the willingness uh, that they want to play um, in that and so uh, just a big thank you. Cheers, Liam. And you can find out more at nzei.org.nz and free phone 0800 693 443. We're going to take a break now. And now that we're starting to envision a post-COVID world, let's stick with that theme. You're listening to The Locals on Free FM 89.0. And this is John Lennon's Imagine. Imagine there's no heaven 
listening to the locals on free fm 89.0 and that was imagine we've spent so much time discussing covid19 and that's understandable but i also know that we need to hear about other things or it just becomes an overload so for our second story we leave the pandemic and head to mount pirongia two years ago i interviewed claire saint pierre on what was happening and thought it was about time for an update enjoy yeah, well, I think we checked at what was the date that we had the last interview, and I think it was just before uh, we were bringing back the Pirongia uh, lineage kōkako from Tūrituri Mātini Island. So we released 14 of those very special birds with Pirongia DNA um, in July 2018. And, um, and that, that has been an amazing experience. And just to feel, you know how deeply touched our, our local iwi, our community, our committee, you know, all the people that we've been working with, just, just to have those birds on our mountain again has, has been so special. Um, and a big plus, a big bonus is that a pair of them decided to set up home right on the edge of the um, forest park, right where the grey road car park is. And so the public can actually see them really easily. 
which has been really neat. Um, and we've just gone um, to, you know, full, full, full on with pest control to protect them. And uh, so that's meant continuing with our bait station filling, uh, which uses an anticoagulant uh, bait that's um, condone and really, having really great volunteer support for that. And, and then extending into uh, mustard trapping. So that's taken a bit of getting the traps done and, and out there. And then we've got a, a few people that are helping with those, uh, checking the, the, the traps, trap lines. Yeah. Um, yeah, but th th that's sort of what we've been concentrating on. And I remember seeing it sporadically over the last couple of years on Facebook and the like, uh, that your organisation has been growing and, you know, the team has been diversifying in the different roles. Um, you know, what does the organisation look like today? Yeah, well, we've um, still got pretty much our, our committee members, are, you know, hanging in there and, and staying with us. Um, but we've been able to employ an operations coordinator thanks to funding from the regional council. Um, and so we, we sort of just been onboarding her um, her name's Gemma Fenio and she lives in Raglan. Um, so she's working remotely for us. <laughs> and, uh, she, uh, yeah, she, she's just starting with 10 hours a week. Um, and we've been doing induction with her and, uh, we're really looking forward to, yeah, the way she's going to have input into what we do and just help us, I suppose, you know, carry the, 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 yeah, the engine room of just, just, just getting the, the, I suppose the group coordinated and, and, volunteers uh, allocated and, and kept up to date and things like that. So she's really doing all that admin role and, and operations kind of thing. Great. And looking forward, what does the next year look like uh, for Pirongia, for the Kōkāko, for the organisation? Yeah, it's um, a really uncertain time for community um, conservation groups with COVID-19 because at the moment we're not allowed to do any field work at all. Um, and so that's the message. So we've been saying to our volunteers to stay at home, follow the rules, um, and we'll get back in touch when, when things have eased off a bit and you, we can, you know, get back out into the field. So we're looking forward to when that might be. Um, but in the meantime, um, I just want to say that we've had a really successful breeding um, season for the Kokako that we did have nesting. Like we only had, um, I think, five pairs that were found in our managed area and four of them had nests that we monitored and all of the nests had 100% uh, nesting success, uh, which was really great. And a couple of those chits were banded. Um, so we're just waiting for the, the green light so we can carry on with our pest control and um, we want to um, get the muscular trapping yeah, really going smoothly uh, with as many traps out as we can manage. And I am really keen to make sure even feral cats are getting some control. Like we are a research site for um, Manaki Whenua Mancare Research. Uh, they've got some, oh, it's a nationwide program looking at more birds in the bush. And so they have identified for us that actually there are feral cats right in the depths of the forest park. Um, and they are hopefully going to generate for us a bit of an index of how many there are 
uh, in the areas that they're doing the, uh, the monitoring. And so this is emerging as, as an area that we've, we're really going to look at. Um, and then another thing that we were considering or, or being involved with, I suppose, is that there was a 1080 operation planned um, for July, uh, around about July this year. We don't know if that's going to go ahead now, but I guess, um, yeah, uh, our pest control area is excluded from it because we do annual pest control and we generally keep on top of those pests that are targeted by um, an aerial 1080 operation. But um, it is something that, you know, we are, I suppose, are sort of working with with DOC and the Regional Council about, about that as well. And very briefly, um, it got mentioned when we first interviewed back in the old days of 2018. Um, how are things out at Puriora? Oh, really great. Um, so we've got funding um, for doing a thousand hectares of pest control there, which targets rats and possums to protect a special Kokako population that is sort of the, the, the link in the chain between some other um, subpopulations down there. Uh, we're carrying on with that. We get fantastic volunteer support. Like we've had record numbers of volunteers last year uh, for our baiting days. Again, because it's a group event and it's really remote, we can't do anything for the field work down there. Um, we've had a lot of um, anecdotal reports that uh, there's a lot more kōkako there, um, but we haven't had a formal or a professional uh, ecologist survey the area and actually find out how many. I'd love to. I'd love to get that done. And in fact, just as the lockdown was 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 um, setting in, um, I was doing funding applications, and one of them was to get um, more funding to carry on with that work down at Okahukura. Thanks, Claire. And for more updates and some beautiful photos of the Maunga, check out Pirongia Te Aro Aro or Kaho Restoration Society Facebook page. There's one final point I want to raise. There's a lot more people on the roads and it's also the time of the year we're getting more fog. So please drive to the conditions and keep your lights on. The amount of cars without lights on during yesterday morning's fog wasn't just worrying, it was plain dangerous. As always, I have your local key contacts. The main symptoms of COVID-19 are a dry cough, fever and breathlessness. And if you're experiencing these, call Houseline 0800 358-5453. If you're in the Waitomo, Waipa or Otrahanga areas, residents can free phone 0800 800 405. If you're struggling to access food, medication or other household goods and services, that's Western Waikato Emergency Management 0800 400 405. Additionally, the Rural Support Trust is 0800 787-254 and in an emergency call 111. I hope these numbers help. That wraps up another episode of The Locals. You can find this and other shows on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Just search for FM and on the Dan Armstrong Y Parking Country Facebook page. We'll be back next Thursday at 5pm but until next time thanks for listening. Cheers Enohora. É pedra, é o fim do caminho É o resto de toco, é um pouco sozinho É um caco 
de vidro É a vida, é o sol É a noite, é a morte É o laço, é o anzol É peroba do campo É o nó da madeira canga, canga. É o mate da pereira É madeira de vento É um mistério profundo É o queira ou não queira É o vento ventando É o fim da ladeira É a viga, é o vão, festa da comida É a chuva chovendo É conversa ribeira Das águas de março É o fim da canseira É o pé, é o chão É a mastradeira Passarinho na mão Pedra de atiradeira É uma ave no céu É uma ave no chão É um regato, é uma fonte É um pedaço de pão É o fundo do poço, é o fim do caminho No rosto o desgosto, é um pouco sozinho É um estrepe, é um pelo É uma ponta, é um ponto É um pingo, pingado É uma conta, é um conto É um peixe, é um gesto É uma prata brilhando É a luz da manhã É o tijolo chegando É a lenha, é o dia É o fim da picada É a garrafa de cana Estilhaço na estrada É o projeto da casa É o corpo na cama É o carro enguiçado É a lama, é a lama É um passo É uma ponte É um saco É uma rã É um resto De mato Na luz Da manhã São as águas de março Fechando o verão É a promessa de vida No teu coração for listening to this free fm podcast if you want to hear more content like this you can support free fm via patreon head to patreon.com/freefm89 to find out more